Good morning. We are uh, certainly remembering this week. This is a very special week in the life of the church as we go through this holy week and up until Easter. Uh, we are thankful that Jesus did make a choice. He made a, a choice to come here to this earth, to show us how to live, to dwell among us, and he chose willingly to go to the cross for us, to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, and, and for that, we're thankful. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, as he, he, he reinforces this truth, that he says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. For that, we are eternally thankful that Jesus made a way. He chose to come here to show us how to make choices, sacrificial choices. And as we wrap up this series today, as for me, That is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about really some of the choices that we have and the choices that we that we make. We are inundated with choices, aren't we? In fact, I had I had some choices to make this morning over the last really thirty six hours. Friday night, Jody and I went up to the hospital to see uh, Gail and Leslie, and and um, and and we were like. Wow, man, look at that. It's so cute. And I never thought that I would say that looking at something, and I said, he looks like Gail. And I used the word cute, and, and I was like, I kind of caught myself. But isn't he cute? It, I mean, you guys probably can't see it, but, he, but he's cute, man. Take my word for it. And, and I'll use Leslie Rubel's words. She said, I'm so thankful he has my nose. <laughs> now, I just let that one go by. And I was like, yeah, look how cute he is. Yeah, but I chuckled inside. I'm going to let you know. Because today we're talking about choices. We're going to be talking about truth. So yeah, I chuckled a little bit at that. And Gail knew it. So anyway, but see, but we, I had some, we have choices. And so I had the choice. I said to Gail, I said, so, so he said, you know, Sunday, Leslie's coming home. And, and I said, well, what are you doing for, for church Sunday? And he said, well, I'm going to come and, and do the message and then, you know, kind of make it back. And I said, well, you know, I mean, if something should come up, let me know. And and um, then a couple hours later, we were at home, and the phone rang, and I seen it was him, and I had a choice. I didn't have to answer the phone. <laughs> I didn't have to, but I chose to. And so I answered the phone, and, you know, and internally, I'll be, again, truthful, I was hoping that he was just going to tell me something, but he wasn't going to ask the question, because I'm like, man, Friday night? All right. And then he said, you know, man, it might be a little easier, to, you know I mean, for us. I said, all right, man, no problem. And so he sent me some notes over. And, and, um, and so yesterday morning I got up, and there was the notes in my email. And, and so I'm kind of getting prepared for today. And, and, it, and I wasn't really connecting, man, with, with it, you know. And I'm like, all right, so I had a choice, another choice. I could have just done his, you know, went the path that he was going. And, but Gail always he gives me the, he gives the, the, the freedom to Hey, if you're not connecting, just do whatever you want. So I did whatever I wanted. All right? Again, another choice that I made. Some of you, may, you might be like, oh, wish you would have made another choice. But we already made the choice, and there's no going back. This morning I had some choices to make when I woke up. I could have kept hitting snooze. That was a choice. 
and I did choose that for a couple times. I could have chosen to turn the alarm off and go back to sleep. That would have been awkward for the 9 o'clock crowd. Like, where's Gail? Because we could have, everybody would been looking for Gail. Where's Gail? I don't know. But it was me. So, <laughs> I, so I could have chose, but I chose to turn it off and get up. All right? So I got out of bed. I also, this morning, it was interesting because my wife Jody is, is running this uh, race down in Toledo this morning. So she was out of the house even before I got up. And so I was like, maybe I don't even have to shower this morning. Jody's not here to tell me. And, but I chose. I did. For your sake, I did. Yep. I also had to, cho- I had to make choices about what clothes I was going to wear. And so I know Jody chose this one other time, so I went with the same outfit again because I knew it wouldn't be the wrong choice. And I was just thankful that I didn't wear it last week because then I would have been really in trouble. But I had choices. As soon as I woke up this morning, I had choices that I had to make. And we have choices every single day that we have to make, don't we? We have family choices. Family choices such as, are are we going to get married? And if we do get married, are we going to have kids? And when we do have kids, how are we going to school them? Is it going to be public, private, homeschool? Are we going to have certain activities that we're going to be involved in or our kids are going to be involved in? What are the choices that we're going to make regarding this kind of stuff? How are, uh, how's our day going to go? Am I going to go to work today? Am I going to call in sick? Am I going to lie and tell them, oh, I'm so sick, but actually I want to golf? Am I going to make some choices about what TV shows to watch? Am I going to read? Am I going to pray? Am I going to do these things? We have choices throughout our day. But we live in a world that's full of choices, right? Full of choices, full of options, and we sometimes pride ourselves on the abundance of those things. In fact, in June of last year, Time Magazine had an article, and in that, they talked about some of these choices or options that we have. They said that in 1994, there were 500,000 unique consumer goods for sale in the United States of America. 500,000. Um, on Amazon.com alone, there's over 24 million today. Over 24 million choices of stuff that we have access to. We have choices. And the beautiful thing about like Amazon.com is they recognize me. When I go in there and I sign in, they say, hey, Joe, here's some options. Based upon some of the books you've bought before or some of the goods you've bought before, You'd really like this. Just hit one click and you can have it. And so I, yeah, thank you, Amazon man. That's great. I make these choices. But there's things and people there to help me make choices. If you have Netflix, they do the same thing. They put some movies in your queue. They let you know, hey, you might like this movie. Not because they're looking out for us, because we're dumb enough to do it and click on it. And they get in, and, and the choice I make affects many things. These choices, Amazon, Netflix, that can affect my pocketbook, right? These choices, although looking under the the disguise of help, they're really there to make money. They're there to, to grab us. Sometimes we go to websites, and based upon, I don't know how, but like I go to ESPN, and they know that I have a Mac, 
And so there's these advertisements for, you need this Mac software or this Mac software. I'm like, how do they know that? They're pretty slick. Those worldwide web people, they're good. But they give us choices. They're trying to help us wade through. Well, it's, it's interesting that as we went through this series, and we titled it, As For Me, we talked about, Pastor Gail had mentioned several times, the passage in, in Joshua. Joshua did for, his, for the people of Israel what advertisers and marketers are trying to do for us today. They're trying to help us make choices. They're trying to help us to choose. Joshua tried to help people when he said this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me in my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is trying to help the people choose the best way, and that was serving the Lord. The problem that we have today is the same problem that we had thousands of years ago. There were choices. There were a multitude of choices. Whether it was the gods of the forefathers, gods of our enemies, or the God of Abraham, we had choices. Today we have choices as well. And sometimes they can paralyze us. And see, sometimes we can actually turn the scriptures, the commands of scriptures, into the choices of scriptures. I'm going to choose to follow this one, not that one. I'm going to choose to be a witness in Jerusalem because that's what the Bible tells me to do. But I'm going to ignore the fact that it says that I'm also to be a witness to the ends of the earth because certainly someone else more qualified can do that. You see, we make choices. We turn Scripture into choices. But in this series, we've been looking at the commandments. What are the commandments? And we're not trying to, to, to saddle you with these to be legalistic, but these are guides for us. Guides for life. Guides, as we've been talking, guide for our family. Putting God first. Not having any other idols. Living lives of integrity. Not lying. Not coveting. These have been guides for us. And I know 10 is a lot, isn't it? Man, it's a lot to remember. So Jesus, about 1,400 years later, summarizes them for us. Isn't that great? He, he kind of boils it down just to two. He says it this way. In Matthew 22, he's confronted by the religious leaders of the day, the teachers, the experts, right? And they're trying to, trying to tangle Jesus up a little bit. And they say, Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. As we talked last week, that kind of encapsulates those first four commandments. It really kind of talks about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're, We're to love Him above anything, above everything. Jesus goes on to say, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The last six commandments, as we said last week, really deal with our relationship with each other. How do we deal with each other? Well, Jesus kind of summarizes it says, love each other. Love God, love others. Simple. Is that how our homes are built? Is that the value? Is that the truth that our homes are built upon? How can we manage our homes? How can we lead our, our, our children 
with integrity and say, as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How can we do that? Well, like Jesus, we're going to try and make it as simple as possible today. Isn't that good news? We're going to make it simple for you. So if you would, turn to John 14. That'll be our passage uh, for today. And in John 14, we kind of enter into the story where Jesus and his disciples had just finished the Passover meal. And Jesus is kind of hanging out, and they're talking, and Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And as he's doing that, as they're talking, Jesus, well, Jesus kind of bums everybody out. He, he says, while well, in the midst of this conversation, that one of you is a traitor. Another of you is going to deny me, and if you haven't heard, I'm leaving. If that doesn't ruin the dinner party, I don't know what does. One of you is a traitor. One of you is going to act like you don't even know me. And I'm out of here. Well, you want to talk about trouble. You want to talk about distress. Everything that they thought about Jesus, with him now leaving, kind of throws everything into chaos, into confusion. Their hearts are troubled. That's why, as we've been saying, again, relentlessly through this, all of these issues, these, these issues about how we put God first, how we, how we love him and serve him above everything else and how we relate with each other, how we do those things are really hard issues. They're hard issues. And Jesus, just like the, he knew the disciples, God knows our heart better than we do. And if we admit it, we, we think that he doesn't, but he really does. He speaks right to the heart of the issue for us, whatever that is. And Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. Here he says in John 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. He knew that their hearts were troubled over this news that he had just shared with them. He knew hearts were troubled. But he goes on to say, Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In this passage, Jesus uses a a, a very interesting phrase. He starts it off with, I am. I am the way. I am the way. This was the description that God gave Moses when Moses encountered God at the burning bush. And he's given some instruction to Moses uh, of how to lead the people. Moses says, well, what am I to say? Who who sent me? Who who should I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them that the I am has sent you. Here Jesus is referencing his divinity. And again, we have to remember that the people and the teachers, the experts at the time, this was blasphemy. They wanted Jesus because of his claim, because of his claim to divinity, because of the claim of deity. And Jesus uses this word and uses this phrase not once, but seven times through this gospel. Seven times throughout this gospel, Jesus starts out a sentence with, 
I am. And in this one, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, the way. What way? Way for what? Well, way to the Father. In the Greek, the word that is used for, for way is the word hodos. And that means literally road or path. Jesus is the road. Jesus is the path to our Heavenly Father. Okay? He is the way. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, we see throughout the book of Acts where um, Christ followers, people who are following Jesus, are referred to as the way. This movement of people who are now believing and trusting and following this guy, Jesus, they're called the way. And here Jesus is referencing himself as the way. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what this does then and what this does now is say that there is nothing, no other way to heaven, no other way of heaven, no good works, no religious ceremonies, no costly gifts. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't get in except through Jesus. Is Jesus the centerpiece of our families? Is Jesus the centerpiece of our lives? That is a truth that we have to, we really have to come to grips with. Is he number one? Because if he is number one, then he is the way. And if he is the way, then Christianity is the way. And I know that is going to drive maybe some of you crazy this morning because in our, in our intellect, we hope that there's another way. We, we sit and we hope that because if there is another way, then, then there's a lot of people who are going to find their, their, their way, their path, because it might be not like my path, but it's going to lead me somewhere else. And we're hoping beyond hope that God is a loving God and he is going to just, he's going to accept all of us upon Jesus' return. We're inundated with a world who tells us that that's the truth. But we know that that's not the truth because Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. And if Christianity is the way because Jesus is the way, then Christianity is not just a way of doing certain things. It's a certain way of doing everything. Let me say that again. If Christianity is the way, the way, not a way, but the way, then it's not a way of doing certain things, but it's a certain way of doing everything. It's a certain way of doing all things. It's a certain way in which we live our lives and guide our families and lead our kids and be the spiritual leaders of our household and love our spouses and love others. There is a way. Now, that's the way. Unfortunately, we're in a world that tells us, you know, there's a lot of ways and there's a lot of easy ways. There's a lot of easy paths. But we have to understand that those ways, if it's easy, then it's probably the wrong way. In Matthew 7, we pick up in verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. You see, we live in a world that gives us lots of options, lots of truths to follow. But here... Many people will enter through this gate. Many people will, will go through the way of the world and go through all of these options and all of these choices. 
but it leads to destruction. You see, the way the world says, well, we've got to seek the approval of man rather than the approval of God. Because after all, we don't want to have too many tough conversations with people. That's easy. It's easy to take that path because I don't want to have to confront a neighbor, a friend, a relative. I don't want to have to talk about these really hard truths. I know the way they're living. I know the things that they're doing. They think that there's many options. they're, They're taking these different paths. And I know, based upon my faith, the way. But you know what? It's probably easier if I just don't say a word. We have to understand, though, that that way, that easy way, causes separation from God. It causes separation from God. So if there's a wrong slash easy way of doing things, then there's got to be a right way. And unfortunately, the right way, or fortunately, unfortunately, humanly, we don't like things to be difficult, do we? But the Word says in in Matthew 7, uh, verse 14, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, if only a few find it, that means it's got to be a little bit more difficult. It's got to be a little bit more difficult to find. I love the way the message paraphrase says, kind of encapsulates Matthew 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. It says this, Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. You see, Jesus never promised that this life would be easy. In fact, he warned us, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to do things like die to yourself. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. Nothing sounds easy about that, does it? It's not, it's not easy. And it's not easy because Jesus said, and because Jesus said, we also know that it's the truth. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. What I say, you can trust. What I say, you can believe in. And when I say it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Because it's eternal. It's forever. In fact, Jesus said, he used the phrase, I tell you the truth, 78 times in the Gospels. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Was Jesus trying to convince them so much? I'll just keep telling them, I, I'm, I tell you the truth, even though I'm lying to them, but if I say it enough, they're going to believe it. No. That wasn't. Jesus was dedicated to truth. That's why he said it. That's why he, he continually started in, in sentences. And as he was teaching, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Jesus was dedicated, dedicated to that truth. And so we know that what Jesus taught was truth. Jesus didn't lie. Jesus didn't compromise. Jesus never changed his mind or kind of, you know, deceived people just to make his point. Jesus told the truth even when the truth hurt. Jesus told the truth even when, it was conf- when he was confronted. Jesus told the truth even knowing that it was going to cost him his life. Is that what guides our lives? Is that what guides our families? Is this how we manage our lives and our households? Can we stand with, with, with 
courage and boldness and confidence and say, you know what, kids, I tell you the truth. Wife, husband, I tell you the truth. And that the words that follow that, are they truthful? They should be. Because the truth is always dependable. The truth is dependable. Anybody, I mean, I know we've all been there, but we, we always say it's hard to remember a lie. Can anybody attest to that? It's hard to remember. When we're lying about things or when we're not telling the truth, it's hard. Well, who did I say that to? How did I say it? Oh, it's stressful, isn't it? It's stressful when we don't live lives of truth. But the truth is dependable. And in order to be a disciple of Christ, we've got to be like Jesus and we have to be truth tellers. So, truth and honesty must be, must be, a value of which we guide our homes. A value of which we guide our lives. Okay? Jesus also said in John fourteen six, I am the life. I am the life. Jesus is saying, I, Jesus, I'm the way to our Heavenly Father. I am the truth and I am the life. You want eternal life? It's only through me. No other way, no other means, it's only through me. And there's a couple truths that we have to know about Jesus being the life. The first is that Jesus is the supplier of life. He is the supplier of life. In fact, in John eleven twenty five, 25, uh, another one of our I am statements of Jesus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And as powerful as the rec- resurrection is for our eternities, which we are going to be reminded of this week especially, as powerful as the resurrection is for our eternities, Jesus is also saying, it's not just for eternity, it's for now. By my power, by my strength, by my life, you can live now how you're going to live for eternity. Jesus also says that I'm the sustainer of life. We have got to remember that truth and, and hold on to that truth. And another I am statement of John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus simply is stating here that I am the only thing that nourishes. I am the bread. It's interesting that to this audience that Jesus is speaking to, bread was essential to their survival. It's something that we take for granted today. We, we may have it with a, with a meal, but we don't need it. But for these folks, this was essential to their survival. We see back in the Old Testament how God provided bread from heaven to sustain them. And Jesus is saying again, I am here to sustain you. I am what nourishes you spiritually. Those spiritual longings that you feel within you, I am the only one that can sustain that. I am the only one that can give it. Nothing else will satisfy you. Only me. Jesus is the supplier and the sustainer. Jesus is life. Jesus is truth. Jesus is the way. And when we lead our families in this truth, when Jesus is the centerpiece, we're not promised perfection. We're not promised ease. But we're promised something greater. We're promised eternity. And in a world that continually gives choices, we've got to continually kind of wade through, chisel away truth 
from the ways of the world. And in fact, it's these options, it's these choices that can paralyze us at times. There's a story I'd like to share in closing this, uh, this morning. There was this famous jam study, jam slash jelly okay, study, and it was only famous, I guess, if you're a researcher and you think research is famous. But in this study, um, Sheena Iagar, a professor of business at Columbia University, uh, learned that and showed that an overload of options may actually paralyze people or push them into decisions that's against their own best interest. In a California gourmet market, Professor Iagar and her research assistants set up a booth of samples of Wilkin and Sons jams. Every few hours, they switched from offering a selection of 24 jams down to a selection of six. On average, customers tasted two jams, regardless of the size of the assortments that they got to choose from. And when they got, they also, when they, when they tasted a jam, they received a coupon for $1 off of Wilkin and Sons jams. But here's the interesting part. This article goes on to say that 60% of customers were drawn to the large assortment. They saw a lot of options and they were drawn to it. 60%. But only 40% stopped by the small assortment. But 30% of the people who had sampled from the small assortment decided to buy the jam. While only 3% of those faced with the the huge assortment of things, only 3% chose to purchase a jar. The study... As the, as the professor said, she said it raised the hypothesis that, there, that the presence of choice might be appealing as a theory. But in reality, people find more and more choice actually to be debilitating. Folks, we live in a world that is eager to sell us, to show us what we need, how we need it. We're faced every day with standing up for what we believe in. In a world that has many paths and hopes that there's many paths, we know that there's one truth, and that's Jesus Christ. Choices, although fun, choices, although appealing, often can paralyze us from making the best choices. And so as we lead our lives and as we lead our families, may we hold on to the truth that Jesus Christ needs to be at the center. And may we live and guide and walk and teach that truth, not in words, but in actions. Would you stand with me as we close as our worship team leads? Thank you.